Welcome to the Online Business Besties Podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you build a successful online business that enables complete lifestyle, location, and financial freedom. If you're a go-getter who's dreaming of building an online business and living your best life, then you, girl, are in the right place. Each week, we'll bring you tested strategies along with stories from our guest expert besties to show you just how possible this life is and exactly how it's done. And now here's your host, online business educator, Paige Brunton. Hey ladies, and welcome to episode number 10. In this episode, we're going to chat all about staying in Europe past 90 days. So if you have dreams to take that business abroad and wander some beautiful old streets on your lunch break, maybe fall in love with an Italian, Lizzie McGuire style, or you just really want to drink wine overlooking the med, then this episode is for you. So I've been living in Europe and running my online business for three years now. Europe is my home base and I plan to stay here for quite a few more years into the future too. I've been living in Germany in this time, so it's the country which I know the most about, but I have picked up a thing or two about staying in other European countries longer than the normally allowed 90 days um, as well while I've been here. So we're going to discuss a few options that you have to stay in Europe longer than 90 days in this episode, and we're going to go through the options in order of easiest and least paperwork to the most. So here's the options that we're going to discuss. First, we're going to talk about country hopping in non-Schengen countries to kill some time to legally work within the 90-day rule and stay in Europe past those 90 days. Second, we're going to talk about work and travel visas and slash or the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty visa. We're also going to talk third about the freelance visa. And fourth, we're going to talk about studying. Now, realize that I say the word studying with air quotes, and we'll go into that a bit more in a second. Before we get into the episode and go through in detail all of those options, there's something I want you to hear first. So you know you want to run an online business, which allows you a lifestyle of complete freedom, but you're stuck figuring out which online business idea would actually work for you. Not to worry, my online business matchmaker training is just for you. Think of the training like a cocktail. We're going to mix together the passions and talents that you already have, your dreamy ideal customer, and successfully proven online business revenue models. Get immediate access to the totally free 30-minute video training and accompanying workbook at pagebrunton.com forward slash matchmaker. Again, that's pagebrunton.com forward slash M-A-T-C-H-M-A-K-E-R. All right, so before we get into our visa options, I first want you to understand this 90-day rule because it is important for you to get before we move into the other things. So let's walk through what you're normally allowed completely like visa-free. So if you're from a Western country, which looking at the stats of this podcast, that is indeed most of you all, then you can stay in Schengen, the Schengen area for 90 days without first applying for a visa. So that means you just show up to the country, you have not applied for any paperwork beforehand. Now, you might be asking, um, what the heck is Schengen? <laughs> Good question. So Schengen is a bunch of countries which you can travel through as if there were no border at all between them. So countries in the Schengen area include Austria, Belgium, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France. Germany, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Liechtenstein, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland. So basically, you can just rock up to whichever one of those Schengen countries that I just listed, get your passport stamped, and then you're going to have 90 days within a 180-day period to stay in those countries. If you want to think of it another way, it's like three months within a six-month period. So let me explain that 
90 days within a 180 day period thing for a quick second. So say on January 1st, you go to France and you stay for two months or 60 days. You then fly outside somewhere at the Schengen zone um, for a conference and then you head back to France again. You still have 30 days that you can use. And because you flew in on January 1st, you can use those 30 days up until the end of June, which is six months away. Um, your 90 days do not need to be in a row. They just need to be at some point within that 180 day window. Um, and then it resets and then you've got another 90 days. So that brings me to our first option for staying past 90 days. And that is killing time in other non-Schengen countries. So you'll notice that there's a few countries not on that list, which are in what we think of as like the continent of Europe, um, including, for example, England, Scotland, Ireland, the Ukraine, and Croatia. So the easiest way to stay past 90 days is to go and enjoy those 90 days in a country in the Schengen zone and then hop over to England, Scotland, Ireland, the Ukraine, or Croatia, chill in them for another 90 days, and then head back to the Schengen area again. So if you continually do this, technically you could stay on the continent of Europe indefinitely by using your 90 days in a 180-day period in the Schengen countries, and then spending the remaining 90 days in that 180-day period in non-Schengen countries, and then just switch back and forth every 90 days. So this is by far the easiest way to stay longer. Um, you just need to make sure that you calculate your days correctly and get in and out on time. I've heard that if you overstay a day or two longer, it's generally not a big deal, though it does matter which country you leave some. Some are more strict than others. But if you go a week or more um, staying past the 90-day period, you could get in some hot water and have restrictions on future Schengen travel. So again, the hardest part of this system is just making sure that you calculate your days correctly. So if you're not loving that option and you want to stay somewhere a bit more permanently and put down some roots, maybe get a longer-term apartment, um, then option two might be a little bit more down your alley. So option number two is work and travel visas. So work and travel visas are by far the easiest visa that you could hope to get for another country. Basically, um, these visas are agreements between two countries that young citizens of their countries can go and travel to the other country and take up once work once they're there. So you do not already need to have a job locked down before you go, and you don't need a contract from a company um, to say you can work for them, which is the case for most other work visas. So your options for countries that you can go to and how long you can stay depends on lot, a lot about where you're from. Each country that you're going to as well has different requirements and intricacies. So it's definitely worth Googling the specifics about your situation if you're actually looking into this. Um, but I will let you know some general things which do normally apply when you go and get a work and travel visa. So work and travel visas are normally for a period of one year. Sometimes you can renew them and get um, two years in the same country. Or your other option is that you can country hop and say you get one year visa in Germany, and then the next year you get one in the Netherlands, and then the next year in France, etc. The other thing you should know about this is that once you get a work and travel visa for one country in the Schengen zone, you can travel to all the others as you please, and you don't need to be counting days or anything like with that like 90-day Schengen tourist visa, which is really nice. You are allowed to do any job in the country, which is legal. So, you know, don't run a drug smuggling business or anything, and you should be good. So anything that's legal to do within the country, you're basically allowed to do with a work and travel visa. You can only work in the country for which the visa is given. Now, this is definitely a gray area when it comes to digital nomads, as the laws haven't really caught up with how people actually work these days. Um, it's pretty clear that businessmen are traveling for conferences and visiting clients abroad and doing work from their laptops when they're traveling abroad, and they don't need to get a new work visa for every single country they're, they're visiting for a couple days. So again, gray area in terms of 
are you allowed to be working in these other countries when you're traveling around in Europe? Um, so just keep that in mind. Technically, you're only allowed to work in the country for which you get a visa, but I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of digital nomads roaming around the content during their visa and working from whichever country they're in, but just something to keep in mind. So for this visa, another requirement is that you generally need to be 30 years old or younger. Not for every country, but for most of them. Um, you also have to have some savings to show that basically... <laughs> I think what they want to see is like, you're not going to get stuck in their country and start claiming welfare. Um, so it's good to have some money in your bank account before you leave, which is good regardless, honestly. Um, so having a couple thousand dollars would be very useful before you go to apply for this visa sitting in your bank account. Some countries also require that you're in school that is high school or university or that you're within one year of graduating. But again, this isn't always a requirement. You'll need to check the requirements for the country you want to go to um, because, again, this is not a requirement for all, but a few countries do have that one. So those are like the general things you should keep in mind when it comes to work and travel visas. When I say that these are the easiest visas to get, I really mean it. Um, so I got this type of visa when I was first going over to Europe. So I put together the paperwork for my visa um, literally in one day. I booked myself an appointment with the embassy in Toronto for the next day, showed up, passed my paperwork to the guy. They said it was like a meeting. It was really just like me giving this guy paperwork. Um, the guy checked that all my paperwork was there and then told me my visa would be ready to be picked up in two weeks. So it really is super simple. So if you want to go abroad but are a bit nervous about the whole visa thing, this is your best option as it's the most simplistic um, while still getting you a legit longer term visa. Now, let's talk about um, who can get work and travel visas because this is kind of important. Canadians, Australians, and you folks from New Zealand, you're set. There's a ton of countries um, that you can get work and travel visas for in Europe. For Americans, you just have one option within Europe, and that is Ireland. But again, um, once you get the work and travel visa for Ireland, you could hop around and travel through the rest of the European countries, no problem. So that could be a good option for you. Again, also Ireland, English-speaking country, which makes it a pretty easy, like, first European destination. Um, but for Americans, there is one other option for you within um, the EU, and that is the Netherlands with something called the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty. So this visa is only for entrepreneurs and the self-employed. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's literally perfect for you. Um, this visa is for two years, and in order to get it, the requirements are that you have to you know, have a company and invest um, 4,500 euros into your company. You have to register your company with the Dutch Chamber of Commerce, and you need to open a business bank account in the Netherlands. So I did find a really helpful blog post of a girl who got this visa and walked through the whole process in her blog post. So I'm going to link it for you in the show notes. And again, you can find those show notes for this episode, episode number 10 at pagefrontend.com forward slash the number 10. Um... One other thing that the blog post did mention, which is interesting, is that when you apply for this um, Dutch-American uh, Friendship Treaty visa, um, they'll give you a sticker on your passport allowing you to stay and work for six months while your application is being processed. So I've heard of a similar situation with visas in Germany that you are allowed to stay as long as your application is being processed. So I've actually heard of people who just apply for a visa just to get the extension while the decision on their visa is being made to stay past the 90 day period without ever actually having the intention to get the or to use the visa if they end up getting it. Granted, I would say it is a bit of work to apply for a visa. So I will say like that decision is up to you if that's worth it to you or not. 
That brings me to number three and our option for staying past 90 days in Europe is a freelance visa. So I was blown away when I found out that these visas existed. They're so, so key for you if you already run a business and you want to live and work in Europe like I did. So there's a few countries which I know for sure offer freelance visas, though I wouldn't call this a complete and exhaustive list. So definitely do a Google if you want to find out if there's a freelance visa in another country in which you'd like to stay. So the countries which I know definitely have freelance visas in Europe include Germany, the Czech Republic, Estonia, and Spain. Now, I got a German freelance visa, so I'll tell you a bit about my experience getting it. I got the visa for two years, and it could be extended um, after those two-year period is up. Um, I'm pretty sure in order to get the extension, what they definitely want to see is that you have a profitable business. So in that two-year period, you really want to focus on making sure your business is making money <laughs> if you want to get that extension. So um, for your freelance visa, specifically in Germany, this is what you're going to need. It should be ish similar in some of the other countries as well. So um, the first thing that you need is proof that you're living in Germany by showing something called your Anmeldung. So this is a piece of paper which states basically like you live where you live, just like which apartment you live in. Second thing you're going to need is a bank account. I use and will literally shout from the rooftops about how fabulous the German startup bank N26 is. You can set up an account from your phone and can manage everything in English, unlike most German banks. It is so simple and truly the best bank I've ever used. So N26, big recommendation on my part. Third thing that you need is you need to get two to three letters of intent from potential clients. Now, I've heard when I was researching online that Germany would like these letters to be from Germany, German companies, but I'll be honest, I only had one letter and it was from an American company and I still got the visa, so I hope that gives you a little bit of hope as well. So I had been doing some work for a web design agency and I was pretty friendly with the founders. So I had them write me a contract saying that I do $30,000 worth of work for them over the next year. But to be honest, the company went under shortly after I received the visa. So I didn't actually complete most of that work for them. Um, we also had a statement in the contract saying that either of us could get out of it at any point by just writing to each other. So if the agency didn't have enough work for me, they wouldn't be stuck needing to give me $30,000 worth of work. Um, apparently the fact that the web design agency went under didn't matter to Germany much. Just having the contract in the first place with someone saying that I was skilled enough and they wanted to work with me was good enough in order to get the visa. So one thing to know is that if you're, you're not limited to just working with the companies who give you the letter of intent, um, once you get the visa, you can work with those companies or any other ones as well. So definitely get creative with this. And if you have a few friends with businesses, get them to write you a letter. From my knowledge, no one actually at the German visa office ever contacted that company to check that it was legit company or a legit contract, even though it was. <laughs> um, fourth thing you're going to need is your bank statement. So I have banks all over. So I took screenshots of the balances in them um, and they were in different currencies. So I made a little like chart, which explained what they all were like in euros. Um, and I had pretty decent savings at the time, but I wanted to be sure I was going to get the visa. So I also had my mom send me $10,000 to sit in my bank account while the visa was being processed. And then I sent it right back to her after I got the visa. Um, fifth is your application form and sixth is a revenue forecast. Now revenue forecasts, I'll be honest, I've talked to some business people. They're pretty nonsense in my opinion. You can technically write anything on them. So I would suggest making yourself look good with a really sweet revenue forecast. You'll also want a cover letter, resume, and a printed portfolio. I was doing website design at the time, which is obviously an online thing, but they wanted the portfolio printed. So what I did was I put my web designs into some mock-ups, like a little MacBook mock-up, and then I printed them out on some fancy glossy paper and stuck them in a binder 
binder. Um, you'll also want for this visa some biometric photos. So those are the same things that you get for a passport. When um, we did my application, my fiance and I, um, we did the application, the cover letter, and the resume in both German and English, though I don't know if that was actually necessary. We even made a table of contents to organize everything within the binder. Again, probably unnecessary, but I treated the visa application like a job interview and I wanted to look as legit and as put together as possible. So one thing to know about freelance visas is that you're not allowed to create a corporation with them and you can only freelance for clients. At least that was the case with me in Germany. So as my business grew and I want to separate myself from my company for liability purposes, I actually eventually switched off the freelance visa so I could create a corporation where I'm separate from my company in order to make sure that if the business were ever to get into some legal issues, that my fiance and my assets like a future home or retirement savings would be safe regardless of what happened with the company. So again, just keep in mind, at least in Germany, I couldn't actually create a corporation on a freelance visa. I could only freelance for clients, which means you and your company are one and the liability and future issues could come back on you personally. Your fourth option for staying past the 90 day period is studying. And I say studying with air quotes um, because I don't actually mean that you need to go to classes. So many European countries offer free higher education. So that means you can do undergrad degrees, master's degrees, and PhDs for free. So sometimes, depending on the country, this is limited to just citizens of that country, but often, as is the case in Germany, you can be a citizen of anywhere, having never paid a cent of tax to Germany in the past, and still enroll in a free degree, which is pretty mind-blowing in my opinion. Um, so if you're worried that you're going to need to fork out a ton of money to enroll in a degree in Europe, don't be, just choose a country which offers free degrees. <laughs> Um, the one thing about that is, while many European countries offer programs in English, offer the paperwork and everything that you're going to need to do to register is in the native language, so that's going to be an extra challenge for you. But I mean, if you want to learn a language while you're living abroad, you can start with the paperwork for your degree. Again, I say degree in air quotes. So um, fake studying is legitimately a thing in many European countries, so you're going to be by no means the only person doing this. I was so surprised once I got here at how many people sign up for degrees that they legitimately never intend to take and who are students into their 30s. Again, students into their 30s, they're not actually students. And a lot of people do this because they get a free transit pass in the state in which they're studying and they get like really good discount on their health insurance. So yeah, fake studying is actually a lot more common than I ever would have guessed before I got here. One thing to keep in mind when you're doing this, just to, you know, be a good human, is there's some degrees which only allow in a certain number of students and others where there's an unlimited number of students who are accepted. So in order to not screw someone else out of a spot in a program that they actually want to be in, um, be sure to only apply for programs where there's no cap on the number of students accepted. Student visas do vary in length. It often depends on the length of the program that you're registered in. So be sure, by the way, before you apply to the program, also to make sure that you're allowed to step or to work on the side of your degree. Student visas do vary in length. It often depends on the length of the program in which you're registered in. Be sure, by the way, when before you apply to any program in the country, um, to make sure that the visa which you'll get will also allow you to work on the side of your degree. Um, before you go through the hassle of actually applying for this. Most, but not all countries will let you work on the side of your studies. There you go. Those are your four options for staying in Europe past 90 days. The fifth option is of course to get married to a European. And if any of you ladies are single and on the market, uh, my fiance's best friend is very single. So that's also an option for you too. 
Joking, kind of. <laughs> now, I would personally start, if I was you, with the easiest option, the one with the least paperwork. And once you get settled into the country of your choice and build relationships with other people and digital nomads there, it's going to become a lot easier for you to figure out how to stay and learn the intricacies about each and every country and chat with people who have gotten the visa that you want once you're there. So again, if you can, start with the easiest option and then work down the list from there. I do have to say that the hardest part of moving abroad by far is working up the courage to book the flight. So I'm wishing you the very best of luck in working up that courage. Thanks so much for hanging out with us for this episode of the Online Business Besties podcast. If you love the show, be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at pagebrunton.com. 